This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. Judith, how are you doing today? I am very good, thank you, and delighted to be with you too. Yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> Uh, we had we had a we had a great chance to speak with uh, Jim the last time around, and uh, now we've got you here. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna start off the same way, uh, the way we've asked everybody who stops by the show. Do you yourself come from a family of entrepreneurs? Do I come from a family of entrepreneurs? Absolutely not. Okay. My mother did not work, made it through high school. That was it, and my dad had to drop out of high school in the 11th grade. His mother was a widow and had five kids and he felt the need to go to work and help support the family, never went back to school and sold cars, which he was good at, but never really loved it. And the one time when he tried to be an entrepreneur and bought a used car lot, it failed radically because he just didn't have the juice to be an entrepreneur. He didn't know how to do it. Wow. Okay. And so growing up, watching this happen, uh, did this influence your decision to be an entrepreneur yourself later in life or to do the things that you did? Yes, absolutely. I knew one, one thing was that I didn't identify with my mother, which was a stay-at-home mom. I identified with my dad, who at least went to work and made money. Um. And I had the, the good fortune of, at the age of 12, looking about 18 and winning a beauty contest and started modeling. And I lived in Los Angeles then, and that, went, that kept going in terms of doing television commercials and acting in television shows and making great money um, back when other kids my age were babysitting for, oh, my guess is back then it was probably 50 cents an hour. And <laughs> every year of high school, I made at least $10,000. And and I'm not young, you know, we're looking some years back. Um, so I knew that I always wanted to make good money. Wow. I mean, yeah, you definitely had the impetus for it, having watched what you were watching happen. And I mean, in my notes here, I mean, I see you were, you were part of the original Star Trek, you know, uh, Ozzy and Harriet. I dream of Jeannie. Are you kidding me? Wild, wild west. <laughs> That's a whole life in itself. Right. And is this sort of where you were picking up all the all the like the modeling and everything you were talking about at that same time? Right. Exactly. At the same time, I was doing fashion shows and modeling for department stores doing a lot of photographic modeling. Well, after college, I went to UCLA wow. um, to meet a husband. I wasn't, I didn't care about, you know, up education. I wanted to meet a husband. I didn't. But <laughs> in, in my senior year, uh, they dove soap for some reason 
plucked me out of Los Angeles and sent me back to New York to do a Dove soap commercial because I had a Midwest accent is what they told me. And I discovered New York City, which was remarkable and fantastic. I came back to L.A., managed to graduate, told a couple of friends, we have to move. We have to go back to New York. And so then I spent a year and a half in New York modeling, mostly doing television commercials, some acting. And but in terms of the fear of being fabulous, which is one of the terms that Jim and I use a lot in our coaching, I couldn't let myself keep being successful. What I kept hearing was, I have to go back to Los Angeles and get married. I have to get married. I have to get married. Why? Because all my mother and father knew to say to me was, well, when you're married, when you're married and you have grandchildren for us. So that was what was in my unconscious and conscious mind was I have to get married. Now, I didn't meet Jim for 22 more years. Oh, wow. So it took me a while to get married, but it plucked me out of the modeling and acting. And I started looking around for, well, what else am I going to do now that I'm back in Los Angeles and not married? And that's when I went back to school and got my PhD in psychology and became a clinical psychologist. Yeah, this is deep. Okay. Um, as somebody who was also from Los Angeles, had moved to New York, fell in love with the city, and then thought to themselves, as I was getting success and like growing in my career, I said, yeah, maybe I'll go back to LA. If I can do it here, I can do it there, only to end up like in this weird place where now I have to figure out, okay, well, and then completely turning around and doing none of those things and now doing something completely different. It really is mind boggling how interesting that is, that there's that parallel with your story. And if I remember correctly, if people never leave their hometown, right, they can never leave behind who their family sees them as. And and the list goes on, right? So you go into psychology and then you turn this, according to my notes here, into into like a corporate consulting career. Exactly. Right. At first I'm doing private practice and then I meet Jim on a blind date. So blind dates, everybody who's single, don't poo-poo blind dates. They can pay (laughs) off. And we start then working together, doing workshops and consulting to, we get invited to do a variety of corporate consultations. And that leads to doing executive coaching. And LinkedIn was one of our primary clients, still a client. And we were on retainer for four years, four days a week, doing training people in management skills, speaking skills, and doing lots of coaching. And so that's what we still do today is a lot of corporate coaching with leaders, often around the fear of being fabulous and other issues as well. Yeah, I really think it's interesting because a lot of people, especially in the remote world, don't seem to understand how important it is to have a good tool set for communication, especially in a remote world, like not only as a leader, but also as an employee, right? If you plan to move forward, what has your experience been like working with people on that level? A great example, Philip, is yesterday with a client. She was 
prepping for a presentation and we've just started working with her. And every sentence, she came down to the end of the sentence and went down. And we stopped her immediately and said, no, 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 you can't do that. You must speak with more confidence and make sure the ends of sentences don't get dropped. This was so challenging. And this is somebody who's not 15. I mean, you know, this is an adult who has to learn different presentation skills. Same thing with some people don't make eye contact. They think because they're on Zoom, it's okay to be reading their notes over here or looking at their other monitor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do I know what you're talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah, Jason runs many businesses. God, you just want to reach through the screen and just choke somebody sometimes. (laughs) Like, look at me here. Pay attention to me. Stop texting. Right, isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 a real that that's the real pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. People, People have an having to learn. To, yeah. Right. No, I, I think it's powerful. And like I was saying, you know, Jason himself runs multiple businesses. One of them being a staffing agency. I can only imagine the headache there. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but I really enjoy where this is going so far. And before I push it any further, because I know we're building up to some really interesting things now, I want to make sure I give the floor to Jason. So he just reflects on some of the things you've shared so far, because that's a fascinating story. What I love about the whole thing, right? I mean, the whole story is very fascinating because, you know, it's this like dream world then clashes with, uh, you know, a different reality later in life and then a complete career change. (laughs) It's like, right? (laughs) And, you know, there's, it's, it's just, uh, it shows the human dynamic though. And that's what I love about people. You know, I always say we're human beings, not human doings, right? So we're here to be, not to always just do things, right? So, you know, it's like my grandfather, he passed away. Uh, he was 91, I think. And, and he did such wonderful things throughout his whole life. And, and he farmed his whole life, but he... He was, he was kind of like a, the John Wayne. It's what he reminded me of. He reminded me of John Wayne because he always had, he was always doing these other things in the winter when you couldn't farm, right? And then during, you know, spring and, and summer, he would farm and then he would do something else. And so it just goes to show how adaptable we really are as human beings, right? And, you know... Yours is like that, you know, your beginnings of your story are like those things that like, they're, they're almost mystical in in a lot of ways. Right. And, and that's really something neat to be able to connect with people is those kind of things. But, but then it's not like this, uh, I don't even know what the right word to use is, but it's not like this, uh, that's what defined you, right? Because yeah. you went on to do so many other 
things that probably overshadowed all those things by a million times, right? And then we go through these transitions in life and that's how it is, right? No different than I spent 23 years in the military. Doesn't define me now. Um, it's like a life gone past, right? It happened. It was great. I don't regret doing it. But then I scaled up my life to something else, right? And you learned a lot about yourself yeah, during absolutely. those years that allowed mm-hmm. you to scale your life up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just a beautiful story you have. And, and, you know, we all have that same trace story. It's just a different narrative. Well, and some people don't let themselves scale up, Mm. you know, and that's what Jim and I are after always in working with people. And what we had to do for ourselves is overcome the fear of being more fabulous. We call it overcoming the fear of being fabulous, meaning letting yourself be all that you can be instead of living with a lot of fear and anxiety and whatever people may be carrying around from their childhood of feeling like, no, I just have to be obedient. I just have to do what my boss tells me to do, or I need to stay put to make sure that I have income that I can count on instead of, well, what would you really love to do? What would express all that you are instead of just a little bit? Yeah. I love that saying. I just, I had to write it down. Overcoming the fear of fabulous. Mm -hmm. I love that. I had to write that down because that's just, it's, that is such a, uh, yeah, if, that'll be the if, title for the episode. That'll be the title for the episode. For <laughs> oh, well, sure. good. Um, that's, the pro, that's the program that you run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And no surprise. Jim and I created a program called overcoming, overcoming your fear of being fabulous. Yeah. Com forward slash workshop. There you go. Um, to help people and people give us great reviews because it's a workshop, an internal workshop, that lets people really question what are their values? Why are they staying loyal to old beliefs instead of being able to open up to new ideas? Mm. And as I say, Jim and I have had to work on a lot of our own beliefs coming from, well, neither one of our fathers graduated from high school. Neither one of our mothers worked. So we didn't grow up in families where there was role models for expanding who you are and who you can be in the world. It it takes courage to be able to grow beyond your own personal image, your own self-image, right? And uh, I think it's fascinating that you brought up the point about human beings are the only creatures that we know of (laughs) that can wake up and decide I'm only going to be 10% myself today, uh, <laughs> right? And a dog's going to be 100% dog, a cat, 100% cat. You can fill in the blank with an animal. But a human being has the audacity and the privilege to be able to say, I'm just not going to, today is not my day. Like they just decide today is not the day. Well, and, well, and sometimes it's not really a decision as much as it is an unconscious piece of their history 
that when they, for instance, very often when we're working with leaders that were put put down in their childhood, told to mind their manners, to, you know, who do you think you are? We're not interested in hearing from you. Any, any, and sometimes it's cultural. We have to play ourselves down. We have to be modest. Right. Then when these people end up in, in corporate jobs, they tell us they're going to run a meeting and they immediately are anxious. Everybody at the meeting likes them. These are, they like their boss. The boss thinks they're terrific, but they still are arriving with their five-year-old anxiety about, will I do something bad? Will dad or mom be mad at me? And they don't understand why they're anxious because they haven't done the work of letting that stuff come to the surface and realizing, oh, I do have to leave home. I remember this conversation. Yep. Some people never leave home and they're not better because of it. Exactly. Exactly. They're stuck. Yeah. It's such a valid conversation, especially in the workplace today where things are remote now. Uh, you know, there's less and less opportunity for you to develop personally as an individual because now you you can turn on this persona, jump onto your Zoom calls, do what you got to do, and then turn it off and go back to whatever you were you know, and just hunch up and just not even, and I, I feel like it's getting in the way of the personal development of a lot of younger people. You know, I had the privilege of being born just at the cusp of a time when kids were still told to go play outside, where we still drank from a water hose, you know, and <laughs> passed it on. And there was always the one kid who drank for too long, you know, <laughs> dirt clods at each other and put a metal rod on the train tracks to make it seem like the train, like just messing around being kids, you know, and now kids are all growing up on their tablets 24 seven from here to the tablet that's for school to the video game. That's, you know, and there's just this whole development and these are going to be the people, the future workforce, you know, there's already memes and jokes about them on social media for job interviews where they use language like, so totally not cap. I don't have any experience, but you know, and they just, and yes, and this is real language that is just now ubiquitous for this generation. And again, look, I'm sure people were act, were doing the same thing when it came. We had we had just had this conversation in the previous interview. People were having the same kinds of conversations when the millennials were entering the workforce. These kids are lazy, and what you know. So I understand that it's going to always. That's just a. That's just history repeating itself, right? And what the work that you're doing, it's it's building the groundwork. As you continue to do this for as long as you can, right? Because that's what we're in the game for, to, for the long run, right? You're going to come across people whose problems, yeah, they, they may not even stem from personal traumas at this point. It may just be they have no practice, right? And that's like the worst one of all because they're not even willing to try. And well, why bother? I could just they, text someone. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, and they don't know to try uh, at an example is that Jim and I wrote a book when Whitney Houston died, when she was 48 years old. And we weren't big fans of Whitney Houston, but 48 years old. And I said, Jim, you know, if we do the research, I know we're going to be able to see that she died from the fear of being fabulous, not from drugs, not from alcohol. No. So when we so we wrote a book called What Really Killed Whitney Houston. Sure enough. She never left home. 
So a couple of examples, she is nominated for her first Grammy. And there's a video, I hope it's still up, but back then anyway, there was a video where they interviewed mom and dad who were both backstage, how it was that their little girl was going to win her first Grammy. And dad says, oh, you know, she'll be coming running back. She won't stay out there much. She's going to come back to us. Mom says, oh, my little girl, I still remember when she was in my arms and she was my little girl. Neither one of them says, I'm so proud of this grown up. Nope. So when you see her in videos and she wins an award, all, all of them show her running up on stage, taking the award. Yes, she has the award. And then she says, and I, and I want to thank God, and I want to thank Jesus Christ, and I want to thank mommy and daddy, and runs off. She can't hold on to, and I want to thank my audience. I want to thank people all around the world who love me. I take in their love. No, she, it doesn't exist for her. So also she goes on her first European tour. Again, she's in her early 20s. She cries every day, according to her PR friend who was on the tour with her. She cries every day because she's lonely. Now she has her own band that she knows. Her PR gal is somebody she knows. Who is she lonely for? Who does she have dinner with the very first night she's back in New York? Mom, Mom and dad. dad. Oh, wow. <laughs> She's never left home. Who did she talk to bef just before she drowned in that bathtub in the hotel when she was 48? Mom. They would not let go of her and she couldn't leave them. So it's a vivid and painful. I mean, this woman was gorgeous and had, you know, a voice of a queen and could not leave home. Yeah. Wow. It, you know, it's. I think the first time I ever came across the concept and I, you know, I don't know where the timeline is on the work, but I think it was with Eric Byrne. The psychologist wrote this book called games people play, right. And right. The, the different phenomenons that people can interact on and that permanent parent child, child to parent interaction uh, was clearly a handicap because they never addressed the adult in, in, in her. Right. And it's funny. I grew up without parents and mostly without family and kind of always kind of passed around and to this very day, I can feel the effects of how that impacts the decisions I make, uh, the 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 length of stride of success that I allow myself, right? Like, as I hear you say this about Whitney, and I just think to myself, like, in what ways am I self-sabotaging? I moved to New York. Sure enough, the only reason I moved back to LA was because I thought it was going to be more affordable. I thought like I have family waiting for me or anything like that. Turns out the prices, but between the time I moved to New York and came back... <laughs> It met up and I was like, I'm not about to just move back after just moving back. Uh, so I'm kind of here until I decide where I'm going to go next. But I know for a fact, and I, and I think anyone listening needs to take a hard look at what they're doing. Uh, and they can obviously look up the workshop that you've developed to go further into this. Uh, but it does, it does start with a question, right? What part of me still holding on to home, whatever that is. And what part of me still is complaining potentially in my case, right? That maybe there is no home and how is that impacting the decisions i make right because it can it can just be inverted 
it's like an inferiority complex and superiority complex. It's the same thing. It's a complex. Uh, well, and maybe for you, you might even be able to flip it over and see that, wow, actually, I'm pretty free if I would just own the fact that I don't really have roots that are holding me back. What could I do more because I am free? Yeah. I see I'm that not- all the time. That's oh, good. I never do anything about it. But I, I see other people complain. Oh, my parents, this, you know, or, oh, my family, that. And I'm like, wow, I, I, the only problems I seemingly have in my life are financial problems. And I'm trying to figure out why that is the case. And it's almost like I'm making that a problem because that's the only problem I can have. You know, like I think about it sometimes. Why do you need a problem? I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I I have zero problems, really, if I look at it, right? All, all the, like, losing my dad really early on due to ALS and this and like, like, Ooh. legitimately, like, I have I have had no problem. All my problems happened early in life, and now as an adult, I'm like creating problems to just have them. It feels like you know, I mean, you know, this is like going deep or what have you. But I'm also not ashamed of it because I feel like there's somebody listening right now potentially who has no idea why they're in the cycle that they're in. Um, they maybe don't even have access to brilliant minds like yourself, like Jason and I are lucky to sit here with and have these conversations and whatever next level you're trying to reach, it could just be a simple, you know, taking a hard look at yourself and asking the question, like, what are you not willing to address? What are you not willing to let go? Right. Uh, and I think that's the power of this conversation that we're having today. You know, it started the last time when we were talking to Jim and we're, and we're bringing it right back and bringing it full force with this one, because it's making me think. And I like to think out loud when these things are happening, because I want people to be involved in the thought process, because it's that experience that sort of creates that, uh, I guess it's epistemology, like the the whole, you know, you ask yourself questions, and philosophically, eventually, you'll arrive at some answers that were within you the whole time, right? I'm, I'm hoping to get sort of that out in the open so that people are more open to having that dialogue with themselves, which is probably the most important dialogue someone can have. Right. Absolutely. And, and I hope that you will take away from this. What, what, how does it serve you? And obviously we don't, you know, we don't know you. I don't know you well enough to have any clue, but how does it serve you to have financial problems? Are you allowed to be wealthy? Who would you be if you were wealthy? (laughs) jason jason do i have any help oh lord (laughs) oh yeah i mean you're you're hitting it for sure uh, (laughs) trust me me and philip have spent hours on the phone um, (laughs) around some of these conversations and it's not lack of ability that's for sure (laughs) it's definitely not that and a lot of times i think there's this thing called imposter syndrome, right? That, sure. that I, I think a lot of people, um, I'm not saying you do, Philip. I just oh, think a lot, a lot it. of, a lot of people, right. They, they have these wonderful skills and they can do them and they can do them better than probably 98% of the other people on the market. But there's just that something that holds them back because they're not proven. Maybe they don't have an education around it. Uh, There's something there that literally holds them back from 
what's really their zone of genius? Because I always tell people this. If you tell me you're good at any more than about four things, you're full of crap. Um, (laughs) Because you you really can't be any, you can only have about four, maybe at the very most five superpowers, right? Um, Things that you are extremely good at, right? I can play pool. That doesn't mean I'm good at it. It's not a superpower, right? (laughs) So there's things that we are like, really, really, really good at that we can share that kind of value in the marketplace um, that can be monetized, right? But we have to turn around and look at, look in the mirror and go, you know, the old, the old school uh, uh, Saturday night live skit. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And by God, people like me, (laughs) right? And, but there's a lot of power in that self-reflection, right? And but you got to you got to be in love with yourself before somebody else can be in love with you. Well, and the imposter syndrome really is so epidemic. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things that we that we would say to a lot of people is how well do you receive a compliment? Just a basic exercise to take a look at yourself. How well do you receive praise? How well do you see, receive a compliment? Whether it's from a friend, your boss, your your mate, anybody, most people will say something like, "Oh, I just (laughs) I just shine it on. No big deal, you know. I I don't want to get a big head." They've got all kinds of reasons for why they don't take in the outside evidence that they are excellent at something. Yeah, even if it's walking down the street and somebody says, wow, that's a fantastic shirt. You bought the shirt, you picked out the shirt or somebody gave you the shirt. Why not own? Thank you. I appreciate that. So in terms of starting to work with the imposter syndrome, one of the things that we help people really understand is that if they can't receive praise, they can't receive compliments fully and own it, that's a place to start working. Yeah. No, it's true. I that, that Jason has been here a number of times where someone said, wow, Philip, you know, uh, and when it first started, I was really caught off guard because people said it to me, but not as much as when we started making as many episodes as we had on the show. But wow, Philip, you're really great at this interview thing or what have you. And I, at first I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Like, oh, let's not make this about me, which is weird. Right. Because all I had to do was say, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, no, I've been working hard on on this, on this for a long time now. Right. Um, But no, and it's only fairly recently that I started accepting that. And in accepting that, obviously, I started behaving differently, too, in terms of like what I was willing to allow myself to do and accomplish. So there's a lot of validity to what's being said here. And I know that you know that, but I want to be able to echo that and and give a, a perspective for someone who may be still sitting on the edge going, oh, well, I mean, you know, what's the big deal of being humble with a compliment? There's a lot going on in that humility that you think is humility when it's, it's not. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. covert hostility towards yourself, you know? <laughs> right. But you're really like, you're really playing yourself down when you can't. And and Philip, you are terrific. You and Jason are really fun. When when Jim, my husband Jim Snikowski, was on the podcast with you and I was listening in, I thought, oh, these two are so fun. 
I want, I want to be on. <laughs> me too, me too. I'm so glad we got you on too, because what we're talking about is like the inside game of what it takes to succeed in life, or as you call it, how to be okay with being fabulous, right? Like overcoming that fear and like, like really accepting like, yeah, I I am awesome. And there's nothing wrong with that because everybody can be awesome. You know, you got to start with you. (laughs) You know, you're not going to be able to ride the coattails of somebody else being awesome. You you know, you got to light your own awesome up. And and it's true. I, I can see why Jason was a big fan of that when he heard you drop that because it's true. And I hope that this episode really drives that point home. And I when I saw that that's where the conversation was going, I said to myself, if the opportunity presents itself, I want to be able to allow whatever I might be trying to overcome, be a part of that process so that people can see it laid out like a frog back in science class when you got to like, you know, whatever. <laughs> some people did it, some people didn't. But you get to dissect this and really take a hard look because sometimes it's easier. In fact, part that's how I use humor. I always use self, uh, self-deprecating humor to uh, help other other people feel like, okay, it can't get any worse than that. So now I can be myself, right? Because I don't have a problem with that because I know who I am. You know, it's never like insulting to me. I just, I'll do something silly to help disarm people because I'm like, okay, nobody's special here, especially not me. Can we get over that now? And, you know, but do you see how that can be a double-edged sword? I know that. <laughs> so you just heard it yourself. I'm nothing special. And to make other people more comfortable. And- <laughs> I really walked into this, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Don't yes, make me. Did. I'm gonna get the baseball bat out, <laughs> so we can beat it into your head. <laughs> oh wow! I really just said that out loud. <laughs> the important thing, Philip, is you heard it. You caught yourself. You could you could hear yourself. I go out but, of my way to make other people comfortable, <laughs> and other people who clearly aren't probably as skilled, handsome, smart as you are. And so your impulse is to make them feel better mm-hmm. by putting yourself down instead of, oh, maybe I don't belong here. Mm, maybe wow. these are not, maybe these are not my people. That sums up like the last 25 years of my 33 years of life. <laughs> I have legitimately been in rooms for far too long with people that have been a part of my life for far too long. And it served me for nothing other than just heartache. That's yeah, true. Wow. Wow. That's that's definitely true. Um, All because I thought, well, I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to have people say you don't belong here. So I'll just be everybody's home. But as uh, you can't be loved by everybody and you can't be responsible for other people's happiness. And I knew that always early on. But of course, I never let go of that. And so, yeah, I can see how in over the long term, how like those those qualities can help people feel comfortable, sure, but they can also get in the way of your own success as it clearly, I mean, I can't think of, I don't know how many people I've met in my life who are all, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not like, I, you know, I live next to the beach. I'm doing okay, but like I could, I could be doing a lot better. Um, and it has a lot to do with the fact that it's like, um, as I'm hearing myself talk and having this conversation with you and my overcoming my fear of being fabulous, that, uh, I think it has a lot to do with like, I don't want to let myself be too awesome for the sake of anybody who may not be. And that could be pretty much anyone that I may still be related to, uh, you know, or even just myself for whatever reason. And Cause 
I mean, if I really wanted to, I probably could be pretty awesome. <laughs> yes, you could. Yes, you could. <laughs> and and there's a little video that Jim and I created a bit ago called You Are a Miracle, available at youareamiracle.net. It's free. Please go watch it, Philip. You are a miracle. You are a one-of-a-kind miracle. Youareamiracle.net. Please own who you are, sir. You are fantastic. This is crazy conversation. I definitely didn't expect. (laughs) (laughs) This one just zinged off in a whole new direction. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But it's okay. I'm I'm here for it. You know, I I think I think that's that's how it's done, you know. Um so for me, I'm totally stoked. Uh this conversation has been absolutely inspiring. Uh, so you are a miracle.net. You said you are a miracle.net. And then is there anywhere else you want people to go visit by any chance? Uh, if they're interested in a book, it's what really killed Whitney Houston. And that's available on Amazon, of course, in audio, Kindle or paperback. And then for people who really want to dig into this stuff, the workshop is overcoming the fear of being fabulous.com forward slash workshop. And it's available in audio um, or CDs. And people love it because it takes you through all kinds. Of, it's like a personal workshop. It takes you through all kinds of experiences. We're not just talking at you. Okay, right on. Um, so before we go to the grand finale, I have, so I, and you know what? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I've been putting this off for a while. We, we have a closed community of, uh, of people that we sort of, you know, uh, they support the show to be possible, to make it possible. And we have an open slot here where I could easily insert what I do to help tell people, because I never do this. Perfect timing. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, so I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and tell people, uh, you know, I, uh, I started this a long time ago. It's called own the rhythm. And it happened when I was at a marketing agency. And just as I was leaving the CEO asked me for advice on how to present themselves because of all my years as an entertainer prior to going into digital marketing. And I told them something along the lines you really got to own your rhythm when you're up there on stage. You know, little did I know I was coaching him for public speaking at the time. I didn't know that. Right. And over time, I kept helping him with his own personal brand and this and that. And it started bleeding into the things I was doing for everybody else because presentation is something that I'm very meticulous about, and especially because I'm so cognizant, as we now know from this story, right, of how others may feel around you or because of you being around, right? And so what I did was I launched this company called Own the Rhythm. And essentially, if you've ever gone to someone's website and read all the copy, we do and you're like, okay, so what do you do? Because it just sounded like a bunch of like filling words. I still don't know what you do. I just happen to know you're charging for it. You know, (laughs) I I can help people actually narrow down what it is they're doing because it's the same skill I use when I'm interviewing someone to help reiterate what they just said in a way that's more digestible for people. Because if there's anything we know, I'm the kind of person that goes, oh, I know how to make it so that people can actually eat it bit by bit at a time instead of shoving it down someone's throat, right? So I can take massive amounts of information because I'm a lot and I found a way to be able to contribute that to people in bits and pieces. So I can do the same for anybody. And I have done from all the people that I've interviewed, many a CEO I've helped, uh, whether or not they stayed on for the long term is a different story because, you know, people 
have a way of thinking that some things are more important than others and then wanting to come back to me when I'm already working with somebody else. Uh, but the truth is I can help you do that. So if you're interested in getting your message down right and making it punchy, smooth, you jump in an elevator, you tell people this is what you do and then you go, I can help you do that. So hit me up. You can go to philiplanos.com. Feels really weird to say that because I never tell people. How do you spell it? Spell it. <laughs> P H I L L I P L A N O S. Get oh, wait, wait, slow, slow down. What's the last name? L A N O S dot com. Dot com. And go ahead and send me a note. There's a contact form there. And let's help get you up to speed. Yeah. So with that said, oh my God. Is it, God, didn't crazy. that feel liberating? Man? It's it's crazy how hard it is for me to do that, but I will champion anybody else for anything else. It's hilarious. I believe that's it's like pulling teeth with me. That's crazy. I can't believe it. And everybody, please notice how difficult it was for Philip to slow down and give you the correct spelling of his name. <laughs> And I know better. You know how many times I've told people, hey, speaking fast is like apologizing for speaking at all. I could coach people all day. I could coach people all day. And then I'm sitting here trying to deliver my own thing. And I'm like, ah, nobody needs to worry about me. (laughs) My entire life is me telling people, don't worry about me, even though I could probably use a worry or two. (laughs) That's crazy, man. Uh, So, yeah, um, it's it's been an awesome conversation and clearly revealing for me. Um, good. Good, good. I, I am grateful. I'm going to go to check out youareamiracle.net. Uh, youareamiracle.net. Yeah. And then uh, I'll have to take a look at what really killed Whitney Houston as well. It's on Amazon, right? That's that's going to be awesome. Uh, but, with, but with that said, uh, if you could have invited anybody that are alive to this conversation today, who would you have loved to have had here? And, and, and why, Judith? Wow, what an interesting question. I think nobody comes to mind, but what comes to mind are all of the slaves who made it out of the South Mm -hmm. and got themselves out of slavery by running away, by jumping on railroad cars and hiding um, and getting themselves up into the North. I would love to have talked with some of those people about how they found the courage and the int- and also did they value their intelligence of all the ways that they figured out how to avoid getting caught and avoid getting sent back because certainly some of the slaves that made it up into the north were sent back um i would love to have talked with some of those people about what they felt and what they knew that motivated them and then allowed them to be so wise and smart to take care of themselves. And completely transform the circumstances of surrounding. Yes. Yes. Transform the circumstances of their lives. Totally. Yeah. I can understand why you bring that up, but that would, that's a fascinating case. And it's a, it's a real history that this country has uh, no different than what happened with the Holocaust. And, you know, uh, you know what Victor Frankl did with uh, man's search for meaning and just that like some people crumble under pressure and others have an impossible unbreakable spirit and there's something to learn from that i mean what a conversation judith i can't thank you enough for stopping by it is tradition around here uh to have jason close us out so i will let him do that a pleasure thank you so much and hello jason again yeah judith man 
just a wonderful conversation. My gosh, you just, you have <laughs> so much to offer to the world. Um, and I mean, both, both you and Jim both have so much to offer to the world. Um, and, you know, hopefully people, people are able to see, you know, my, my senior vice president just released her book. It's called, I see, I see your genius. Ah. And, and I hope people are able to see you guys as genius that you guys are doing and the way you're helping people through all these challenges um, in not, not just in business, but in their lives too. Right. Because right. Right. anything in business directly correlates and translates right over to your, your, your life itself. Right. That's right. Cause what I decide to take out of this office today upstairs that affects everything. And you know, so the work you guys are doing on what just seems to be the most fundamentally simplest thing of losing that voice, uh-huh. right? Seems so simple, right? But where is the cause and effect of that through the entire life of that person? Right. right. It's not just that one moment, right? There's so many interconnecting things that. You know, the simplest things in life create this, uh, this effect, like when you throw a rock into a pond, that's just glass and you watch it just go ripple, right? That's how everything in our life is. Everything is a ripple. And, you know, I'm glad there are people like you out there doing what you're doing. Keep doing that forever. You bet it. Keep doing that through uh, the vessels that you're using. And, uh, you know, we, we just appreciate you being here, sharing this with us. And this truly was a very different episode, um, but I'm grateful for it. I'm very grateful for it because we got to see something different today. And we, we got to see something that was very powerful unfold and some realizations had uh, trifecta, I think. Oh, yeah. Good. So. Well, it's been a joy and a pleasure. I knew it would be. You two are wonderful. It was just such fun to be with you. And, and Philip, make, making yourself available the way you did was really awesome. Thank you. Oh wow! Are you kidding me? Thank you. Seriously, it's <laughs> it's uh it's it was funny to watch myself struggle to put myself out there to help people, even though anyone who comes to me, I'm always so willing to help. But I've learned how hard it is for me to do that just through the example today, even though if I'm talking to somebody, I'll casually mention. But that's just it. There's nothing casual about the help that I can offer people, and I learned that today. So thank you. Bravo, sir. You are you are so welcome. Thank you both. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.